This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. episode of the show before the show podcast in a week that will not include minor league baseball from now until september we welcome you in to the latest edition of the show before the show the official podcast of minor league baseball a uh, a three-headed podcast monster today my name is tyler mon sam dykstra and benjamin hill in new york city gentlemen how are you yeah things are good um <laughs> it's, it's crazy to hear you say it that way because I, I was thinking about it today and ben you can certainly talk to this more than I can maybe even, or even you know, our, our noted history expert, Josh Jackson can. Um, but this feels like the longest off season in minor league history. And I don't say that as means of hyperbole, like it literally is the longest history in, in or the longest off season in minor league history. So the fact that we are actually at the end of it, um, you know, there's, there are things that we are not at the end of, we're not at the end of the pandemic completely everybody needs to go out and get vaccinated and all that but the idea that next tuesday we're going to be talking about games that are actually happening on the field doesn't fully feel real even yet yeah Um, that's true but like ben what what is your anticipation level at right now i mean i think it's like a lot of things when you're aware something is happening you're excited in the abstract but it's been so long since that thing's been real that it's hard for me to get like super excited, but yet at the same time, I know when it starts and there's actually games going on. And even more than that, can you know, schedule a road trip and actually go somewhere. And even just the little things like, like we were talking earlier before the segment started of just, uh, you know, getting game recaps from teams in our email inboxes, all those little things that make it seem real. Uh, seeing the reality of um, promotions that have been announced actually happen and um, getting stories out of the things that maybe no one planned for, but are, you know, just quintessential minor league happenings. Um, I think once it starts, though, for me, I find this is how I am, especially as I get older. I don't really anticipate things as strongly as I used to. And then when they happen, I think maybe I was like repressed prior to them happening. And then when they become reality, I'm like, oh, it's real. It's happening. So I'm expecting to be emotional next week. But for now, we've just been in this other netherworld for so long that it just still feels kind of like that, even though we know the end is near. It really has felt like we've all been wandering through the upside down for the last 19 months or whatever it's been. But we are getting very close to finally having some minor league baseball uh, active and uh, and on the horizon day after day from now until months from now and very excited about that and uh with that we've got so much to cover between now and next week when we kick off the 2021 minor league baseball season and nobody better with whom to do that than our very own benjamin hill because ordinarily we go into a new season and we've already talked about some rebrands or some redesigns or new ballparks or new uniforms or um you know promotions all that type of stuff we're really essentially doing that for two times what we would ordinarily be doing now obviously we haven't had the same level of full rebrands or all of that over the last couple of off seasons. Um, But there is still a ton to cover that is new on the minor league landscape in 2021, even with a reduced amount of minor league teams. And Ben, you're kind of compiling that all for the site. Give us sort of the rundown of how it's been putting all of this together, tracking uniforms and logos and names and ballparks and everything. Yeah, it's been a process. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you've heard us talk about a lot of these things over the last year and a half plus um, different ballparks that will be opening up different team names uh, that have been unveiled. But now, like we said, that we're finally close. I put, and you know, a lot of our work is now going uh, not just on MILB.com, but you know, on the MLB side of things, MLB pipeline, kind of a, I think all but the most hardcore minor league fans might've forgotten a lot of the changes that were going to take place in 2020 add to them new changes in 2021 
and just the fact that it's been a long time since we've kind of thought about everything happening. Uh, I put together a story trying to round it all up. Um, you know, there's so many angles in which you can tackle change in minor league baseball right now. Uh, but what I'm talking about specifically are the new team names, logos that are debuting in 2021. And in the majority of cases, those are in tandem with a new ballpark that is debuting in 2021. So I have a story rounding up all those together. And uh, just to remind people, refresh, um, saying, okay, here's what we're going to see debuting in 2021 in the minor league baseball landscape. The Rocket City Trash Pandas. How long ago does this seem, or not seem, but was it? The Rocket City Trash Pandas name was announced in the fall of 2018 when they were months away from playing their final season in their previous incarnation as the Mobile Bay Bears. So we have been living with the Rocket City Trash Pandas on the landscape in some way, shape, or form for two and a half years. And now, finally, they are set to make their debut, one of the six new ballparks, Rocket City Trash Pandas. They really do just seem like elaborate performance art. Like three years ago, this team was established. They may never play a game. <laughs> They're just like uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas are like, ah, oh, well, we couldn't get to that guest tonight. They'll be on the next show. Like maybe we'll never actually see them. Andy Kaufman never you? died. Right, and exactly. He's still out there, and he's the GM of the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Yeah, they, they have the perpetually bumped guest. That is a way to put it. But uh, So they've been around the longest without actually playing, but we also have you know, uh, the new Fredericksburg ballpark, Fredericksburg, Virginia. That has not been named yet. That will host the Fredericksburg Nationals, the Fred Nats. That was another 2020 opening. Probably if it had had to open in 2020, it wouldn't have been ready for the start of the 2020 season. Probably would have gone back to the good old Fitz, which I know Tyler has a lot of opinions, Fitzner Stadium, uh, to start 2020. But with the pandemic, they're ready to go uh, in 2021. And uh, they've already been hosting alternate sites action. So there's been baseball played in Fredericksburg already. But finally, the Fred Nats are ready to go with their new branding and some of it tied into George Washington, uh, who grew up in Fredericksburg a, uh, as a young lad. Uh, we have the Kannapolis Cannonballers, who we will be talking to general manager Matt Millward um, shortly. Um, they're, I think, the only team actually opening on May 4th in a new ballpark, literally starting the season. But, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about them, talking about them. They used to be the Intimidators, a big rebrand, um, moving on from the Dale Earnhardt identity to the Cannonballers identity. The new ballpark finally opening in 2021. That also should have been in 2020. Wichita Wind Surge. If the Wichita Wind Surge had played in 2020, they would have been a AAA affiliate of the Marlins in the Pacific Coast League. What a difference a year makes. Now they, they are the AA affiliates of the Minnesota Twins in the AA Central League. Try to make sense of that. If we could go back in time and explain these things to people, you know, the weirdos like us would be like, what has happened to the world? But Wichita Wind Surge, they never got to play a game in their uh, AAA incarnation, but no matter, they are finally starting off with new logos designed by Todd Radom, the Wichita Wind Surge finally making their on-field debut. And then, of course, we made a joke about, out of it that I hate to even do it, but Worcester, Worcester, Woo Sox, they were a 2021 debut. They're finally happening. Uh, you know, that team used to play in Pawtucket, the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Paul Sox. Uh, we've talked about that before, how that iconic, beloved facility that they played in, McCoy Stadium, never got a proper goodbye, even though the team spent a lot of time, uh, you know, planning events and for people to say goodbye, but not with an actual Paul Sox game in 2020. So that was certainly sad. But the Woo Sox are finally ready to make their debut. And then sort of the wild card, the Beloit Snappers have a ballpark with an unclear opening date, probably not till much later in the season. So they're going to start the season at their old home of Pullman Field. And I think we'll cover this in depth uh, once it starts happening. But when they're still playing games at their old ballpark, they are offering the naming rights on a per game basis for something like $500. Um, so there's going to be a one night names for this old ballpark until the new one, ABC Supply Stadium, opens later in the summer. They've also initially announced that they would rebrand in 2021 in conjunction with the move to the new ballpark. It looks like now they're saying 2021 is the final season of the Snappers regardless and then most likely a rebrand heading into 2022. Then without new, no new ballparks, but a new name, new identity, Fort Myers Mighty Muscles, uh, you know, muscular seafood that used to be the Fort Myers Miracle, and a tweak, but with new logos, Lakewood Blue Claws have uh, broadened their reach, uh, trying to hit the whole Jersey Shore area as the Jersey Shore 
blue claws. And as, as you recall, they uh, have a whole lot of uh, new identities tied in with that, you know, surfing and sunglasses and Ferris wheels and the beach and things like that. And since I'm just rambling on and on and on, there's so many changes. We'll mention one more time very quickly that there are three teams that are not new, but they're new to minor league baseball for the first time. Uh, they used to be independent teams, but now the St. Paul Saints are the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. The Somerset Patriots are the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees, and the Sugarland Skeeters are the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. And let's not even get into the fact, and we covered this on a different article, that the Trenton Thunder are actually back as an affiliated minor league team hosting the Buffalo Bisons, who are technically still the Bisons. Minor league baseball is confusing. There will be a quiz, but check out this article for, I think, about as coherent as a roundup as you'll find of most of these things that I'm talking about right now. Get ready, get psyched, and be ready when 2021 begins with all these changes. And that is why we have you on each week, Ben, just because I don't think anybody else could just ramble off, and I mean ramble in the most positive way I, I can, uh, just ramble off all the changes that are coming to minor league baseball, at least from a ballpark logo team name standpoint. Um, so I, I know I'm most looking forward to just seeing the Worcester Red Sox being a Massachusetts guy, having baseball back in, in you know, my proverbial backyard. Um, I'm actually going to be at Polar Park for opening day. Very excited for that and being able to cover that. But when you look at all these changes you just went through, what are some that you are most highly looking forward to either seeing out in the world or, you know, seeing stadiums and how they're going to be slowly filling up? Like, what, what are you most highly anticipating? You know, I'm looking forward to all of them in their own way. That sounds like a mother who tries to explain that she loves all her children equally. Um, you know, we, we do have a segment on Canapolis coming, but uh, I'm excited for Canapolis. Um, it was a smaller market, but it's very close to Charlotte, um, but it has its own kind of feel and identity out there. It's easy to kind of get overlooked with Charlotte being so close by. The old ballpark was, you know, not in a very populated area and it was the team was easy to kind of get lost in the mix. They weren't drawing well. So now to go to downtown, have a total rebranding, and really, you know, put themselves on the map in Kannapolis um, with this vibrant Cannonballers identity. I, I'd like to see, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do for sure. Of course, Rocket City, just because it's been so long and we finally get to see those trash pandas on the field. And even though Beloit won't open until, you know, towards the end of 2021, there's no way, Beloit's a small market, and there's no way at all that Beloit would have been able to keep affiliated baseball if they hadn't gotten a new ballpark. And I love this kind of new lease on life for that town, southern Wisconsin, um, getting a new ballpark. Quint Studer owns that team, who also owns the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. You know, was, hey, he's a businessman. I'm sure he's in it to make money, but at the same time, it was a labor of love for him because he grew up in Janesville, Wisconsin, which is close to Beloit. And I think he wanted to, you know, make sure that baseball in his hometown or home region is still going on. And I'm just happy. I like the Midwest, and I know there's a lot of uh, passionate minor league baseball fans around that area. And to keep a kind of classic but small market franchise alive via a new ballpark in Beloit is just something that it does my heart good. And and I wish I could get back to Pullman Field one more time because you know, hey, it's a bit of a dump, but I like those kind of places. I know a lot of other people do too, and lots of charm. And I have good memories when I went there for the only time I ever did go there back in 2013. But happy for them to be moving on and staying part of the minor league baseball landscape. All right, guys. Well, one of the uh, topics that you've already touched on is the subject of our interview for this week. Ben, give us a rundown. Yeah, well, we've mentioned a couple times, so I think we can go right into it. Matt Millward is the general manager of the Canapolis Cannonballers. On May 4th, Atrium Health Ballpark opens its doors to finally host a minor league baseball game that is, of course, next week. And Matt took the time from his busy schedule to give us a rundown on uh, what the last couple of years have been like and, more importantly, what to expect when minor league baseball finally debuts in a new ballpark in Canapolis. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, 
which is why Forward Doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. It's the show before the show podcast. I'm Ben Hill, and opening day is upon us, and there's a whole lot of uh, story angles to pursue. One of the biggest is that there are six new ballparks opening in 2021, either right at the start of the season or later in the season in the case of Beloit. And one of those ballparks, Atrium Health Ballpark, home of the rebranded Canapolis Cannonballers, they kick things off on May 4th, opening day proper, after a 2020 season that wasn't and uh, a long wait and a lot of weirdness and uh, it's a lot to talk about. So I'm here with Sam Dykstra and we are joined by Canapolis Cannonballers General Manager Matt Millward. Matt, thanks for being here. No, pleasure to be on the show, and thanks for inviting me. Well, Matt, before we get into uh, you know the nitty gritty of opening a ballpark uh, under such a delay and in such weird times, uh, on one broader sense, you have uh, experience in this realm before. You used to work for the Charlotte Knights when they opened their downtown ballpark in 2014, and Canapolis and Charlotte are almost the same market, uh, you know, very close to one another. So you're familiar with opening ballparks in this region of North Carolina. And now that you're heading into finally opening Atrium Health Ballpark, uh, what did you learn from the experience in Charlotte? And also, it's got to be really different right now, too, at the same time. Yeah, no, you touched on a good point. Um, we are kind of in the Charlotte market, too, but I would say we're, we're worlds apart. Um, just the demographics up here as compared to Charlotte, um, a lot more family-oriented up here in Kannapolis, more so than in Charlotte, where you've got a younger demographic. Um, but my years in Charlotte, it was an amazing learning experience. And 2014, uh, opening the ballpark there. So many stories that I'll never forget. Uh, the day we put individual tickets on sale and had lines around the corner up the block, um, having our credit card processor go down in the middle of that. Um, then you look to opening day and just uh, the memories that went with it, but also just the emotions. Um, it's truly a roller coaster ride with highs and lows and stressful moments and celebrations. Um, and really kind of honing in on that, but smelling the roses is one thing I like to say. Um, and as you go through the process is to truly enjoy every minute of it. And that's one thing I really preach to our staff, um, putting in the long hours and the effort behind it, but it's truly, you know, embracing the memories, embracing the moment and making the most of it. And, uh, you know, when you are going through this, we were talking a little bit off air before this, you know, you were saying there's, there's been a countdown clock. Uh, to finally getting this ballpark open and, and finally allowing it to be a ballpark. I know you've opened it a little bit to the public before this, um, but what are you looking forward to most about people getting in and actually getting to experience it at a Cannonballers game when you guys get started on May 4th? Yeah, no, we've been fortunate. Um, we did open the ballpark to the public last summer um, as kind of a, a park. So we've opened our uh, playground area. We have a full splash pad in there as well and our food and beverage operation. Um, so we opened our concession stands, uh, termed them our Ballers Bistro. Uh, we opened up our right field bar, which has been a hit. We opened our club area as a restaurant. Um, so fans have gotten to experience the ballpark over the last year. Um, we've had about 125,000 plus visitors walk through the, the ballpark. Um, so people have gotten a chance to experience it, um, but that's what I'm truly looking forward to are all the tricks that we have up our sleeve and just, the entertainment aspect of it, you know, playing baseball. Um, we've introduced the ballpark as a destination um, and a place for people to hang out on a daily basis, but now we can truly introduce it as a, as a baseball stadium. Yeah, and I do love that, that public aspect of it and how it is very much a, a part of the community in that way. Say 125,000 people have already experienced it. That's great in a year in which people haven't been able to get to the ballpark, but when it is, you know, when there is a, a first pitch and there are fans in the stands and you, you were saying earlier, it's it, the cap is going to be around 2,600 and there's obviously some issues going along with that. But um, what are, what do you think is going to be the first thing that fans should look for at, at this new ballpark? Like what is going to be the unique feature once baseball is actually started, that's going to keep them coming back and really grab their attention. Yeah. There's truly something for everyone. Um, like I said, our playground and splash pad, um, our city spent almost $800,000 to a million dollars on our playground and splash pad facility. Um, and then we've got our right field bar that overlooks the playing field. 
Um, so you've got an awesome aspect for those that just want to come out and enjoy a beer. Um, our club area is second to none. So whether it's client entertainment, um, our dugout suite behind home plate is truly like being a part of the dugout. We've got a, a dugout bench in there. Um, it's right next to the cannonballers dugout. Um, you're actually closer to home plate than the pitcher is. So there's just, there's truly amenities for everybody. Um, but the one thing I'm, I'm really excited for, I know what I think will resonate with this area is just truly the hometown team aspect. Um, Kannapolis, this area up here, it's very tight knit. It's a tight knit community where I think they're really going to gravitate towards the team itself, um, get to know the players, our manager. We're in a lot of, you know, minor league markets. It doesn't really, baseball doesn't have a huge impact wins or losses where I'm actually excited for the potential in this area where, you know, the team playing well and, you know, fans getting behind the cannonballers. I'm actually really, really excited for that. And Matt, um, like a lot of teams moving into new ballpark, uh, you've rebranded. And uh, of course you did that prior to 2020 when you thought, uh, when everyone thought the ballpark would open then. And, uh, you know, rebrandings are always kind of intense and emotional and exciting experiences, maybe a little more in the case uh, with Kannapolis, just because the name that you previously previously had, the Intimidators, was a reference to uh, Dale Earnhardt, the Intimidator, uh, local legend. And I know a lot of people were upset about that change, but at the same time, you didn't own the rights to the name and you wanted something new going to, into a new ballpark. And now you've been able to exist even without playing games as the Cannonballers for well over a year now. Do you think that's been maybe a silver lining in some regard and that it gave the community that much more time to get used to this new identity? Yeah, 110%. Um, and just introducing them to the ballpark as well. Um, but in terms of the rebrand, you know, one thing I really take pride is pride in is, is since our rebrand in October of 2019. Uh, I think we're going on 16, 18 months here. Um, we've consistently ranked top 10 in minor league baseball merchandise sales, um, where not only is it resonating across the country, but as well here in our local area, um, having the best-selling fitted hat in minor league baseball. Um, what I love about it is it appeals to all generations, um, whether you're a little kid and uh, you gravitate towards our mascot boomer, whether it's the colors red, white, and blue Americana, um, literally from two years old to 99 years old, I feel our brand resonates with, with every age range demographic. Um, it really checks all the boxes and that's kudos to Dan Simon, uh, Simon studios. He's out of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, he's done rebrands for a few other teams. Um, but he presented us 10 different options. Um, it started with the public submitting their names and we kind of whittled it down, um, but I kid you not, so he presented the, uh, the 10 options to us in a packet. And the first option was the Cannonballers. And the minute I saw it, I said, this is it. Um, you've got just so many things you can do with it, whether it's different characters, different mascots. Um, we talk about merchandise, uh, features around the ballpark. So whether it's string lighting, making it that circus carnival-like feel, um, food and beverage. Uh, we pretty much plan to offer everything you'd imagine if you're going to a state fair. Um, so we've got a corn roaster. We'll have roasted corn. We're doing our own milkshakes, corn dogs, um, all that junk food you can imagine. Um, but just so many things you can do with the brand in, in so many different areas. And I'm glad you brought up that carnival-like atmosphere because I remember when Ben wrote the story about that coming out in October 2019, um, it surrounded the announcement event, which was basically like a carnival in itself. Um, and, and I'm glad to hear that that's going to be incorporated in the ballpark, but in terms of just seeing it out on the field, no longer being something that's just merchandising, getting sold and, and seeing around town, but like actually being used in the way it's intended to be used. What are you yep. looking forward to most about seeing those red, white, and blue colors and that cannonballers logo out on the field? Yeah. just that hometown pride, um, over the last 18 months, you know, even throughout the entire Charlotte region, we've seen cannonballers gear all over the place. Um, even represented throughout the country, but in the ballpark is is finally residents of Kannapolis, Cabarrus County, the Charlotte area, to have that hometown team to root for um, and really pull behind, and just to hear that you know the roars from the crowd. You know, it's such a cliche that's used so often in our our sport and our industry, but it truly is one thing I'm excited for is to to see some dingers knocked out of the park and you know fans to to cheer on their hometown team. And speaking of dingers. Uh... 
I, I know baseball hasn't been played there yet, and you're not entirely going to know how the park is going to play probably uh, two it's, months it's, in. It's going to be a hitter's park for well, sure. Well, that's what I was going to oh, ask. Yeah. So, like, yeah, what yeah. aspects of it do you think are going to favor hitters then? Yeah, the balls are going to our balls are going to fly out here, um, and the way our outfield wall is configured, there's a lot of different unique angles. Um, so I probably could imagine a couple inside the parkers um, happening as well. Um, so it'll definitely be a hitter's ballpark. Um, we have a huge berm out in left field, which I think will be an awesome place to, to catch the game. Um, from the berm, you can go right down, pretty much right down to the field. Um, so once COVID you know, lifts up, there'll be fans interacting with the players, getting balls tossed and, you know, into the berm. Um, our right field bar is literally perched right above the outfield wall. Um, so there's a lot of cool vantage points from the outfield as well. Um, so between foul pole and foul pole in the outfield, I think it's going to be a really cool spot to hang out. Well, Matt, you mentioned COVID and, um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel right now, obviously, but still a lot of, uh, concessions that need to be made to that situation. And we were talking a little bit, uh, you know, off air, so to speak about your background in ticketing and how, um, that's really coming in handy, uh, right now and how much work it is to figure out dealing with the ballpark capacity, which I believe is 2,600, uh, you know, how to distribute those tickets, um, you know, prioritizing season ticket holders. Um, I guess it's really a whole puzzle in terms of how you get those fans in there, how you distribute the tickets and um, a real logistical task. So what's been the process there um, when clearly opening a new ballpark, you have way more demand uh, than you can currently accommodate. Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, it's been a puzzle. And I, I make the analogy, it's been like a thousand piece puzzle. And you take all the pieces of the puzzle, you throw them on the ground. And then you say, all right, you can't even use the box. You don't have an image to put that puzzle together and, and go, go do it. Um, but it's been round after round of revisions and creating seating pods. And, you know, we are in a fortunate situation, though, where everybody is so excited for us and to play baseball, where our season ticket holders have stuck by us every step of the way. Um, the key has always been to, you know, for me personally and for our team as well, is just to be transparent, um, being transparent with, you know, your season ticket holders, people that are buying season tickets. Hey, you know, that first couple months of the season, you're going to have your permanent location, you know, down the road, but you're probably going to have to be relocated. Um, even when we go on sale with individual tickets here is being transparent that, Hey, you know, the first couple months while we're still following these guidelines, there might not be seats available. Um, so being honest with your fans, um, being patient and being able to uh, be flexible. Um, those have been some, some key things I've learned. Um, but ultimately, you know, if you've got loyal supporters, they understand what you're going through um, and we'll be there with you every step of the way. All right, Matt, we'll, we'll, we'll end with these two. Um, you know, May 4th is coming very quickly next Tuesday. We're less than a week away now. Uh, you guys are going up against the Down East Wood Ducks. What is the moment going to be, the precise moment, in which you are going to feel fully 100% back? So about 30 minutes ago, we got confirmation, assuming that weather is good, that we're going to have a flyover. Um, and I think it's when that national anthem is hitting its final note and that plane is flying over our ballpark. I think that'll be the moment that it's, it sinks in. We're here. Nice. Nice. I like that a lot. And it kind of piggybacking off that um, just to end on this one. Uh, we've been asking front office execs this a little bit. Let's say the stadium DJ gives you the iPod or the Spotify account or whatever. You get to choose the first song that fans are going to hear as they come back in. What would you choose to welcome people back to Kannapolis baseball? I would probably go with uh, celebrate by Cool and the gang. I know it's a classic, and it's kind of cheesy, um, but it brings out that emotion. You know, it, it's time to celebrate. Speaking of celebration, you're at the cusp. I know there's a long way to go in totally being fully normal. But uh, as we said earlier, the light's at the end of the tunnel and you can see good things ahead. And uh, wishing you the best on opening day, May 4th, and for an excellent Canapolis uh, Cannonballers inaugural season. Thanks for taking the time to join us. No, we appreciate it. The, uh, the best is yet to come. And um, I also want to give best wishes to all of our uh, compadres across minor league baseball. Um, we've been through a tough battle, but um, happy and excited to celebrate with every other team in minor league baseball.
Continuing along on this week's episode of the show before the show with the freshly shorn Samuel P. Dykstra. Sam, the haircut looks fantastic. I am realizing that this show, thank you for your compliment. And I I appreciate that before I get to my second point, which is uh, I feel like this show is just turned into let's beat up on Sam each week. Like Ben just folding in the Worcester thing. That's become a recurring bit. Now, all of a sudden, my middle name, which is Collins, by the way. Who, today Called we to are the speaking. silent P at the beginning, like pneumonia. No, no. Collins. See, I, what I was going to say, which is today, we sadly learned that Michael Collins, who was part of the Apollo mission, right? passed away. Not related to him, but I did have a great uncle, Michael uh, Collins. Uh, but still, like, it is a name that is well, it's Samuel C. Dykstra is fine. It flows just perfectly well. You could see it on a book jacket. Nope. We do have a handful of, of those running gags. Samuel.dykstra at braves.com. Yeah. Thing. Samuel P. Dykstra. I didn't realize that. We really are just kind of racking up all these gags <laughs> on. Uh, and they're all from different sources. Samuel P. Dykstra is from Josh Jackson. The Worcester thing is from is from Ben and also me because I like mocking you people in your weird accents. And uh, and Samuel.dykstra at braves.com is, is my joke. Um. Yeah, you got to come out swinging next week, man. This has become a confrontation, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want to fight fire with fire, but this I is will. an attack on Samuel P. Dykstra. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that all to point out, Sam got a haircut. Sam had gone the entire pandemic, no haircut, and got the haircut. I last year went with the home buzz. I had like a you know like a beard trimmer, and I just turned it to to buzzing my head constantly. Um, that was my way of attacking because my hair is awful. So when it gets long, it looks worse than, than when it's short. So I would just go like as short as possible on the bus, but you went with the, it looks, it looks fantastic. Honestly, I figured, you know, like I've always wanted to see how long it could go. I've, I'm a, I'm a soccer fan. I love watching these soccer matches with these guys with like these long flowing locks and they got to put it in a ponytail. Graham Zussi for all of you who used to follow us, uh, men's national team. I always thought, what can my hair look like if I could get it as long as Graham Zussi? So I thought, pandemic, a time when I'm not going to be going to barber. Let's see how long this can get. And actually, as it turned out, it just got in my face the entire yeah. time. That was the answer. I could not get it styled in a way that looked cool. I mean, not that I was going out and about on the town and needed it to look really special. But like, I couldn't get it. Out. I was wearing hats around the house. Uh, and, you know, I got my second shot. I was feeling pretty good. And I decided it was it was time to to finally shorn, shorn the locks out of my face. Well, um, it looks fantastic. Thank you. I Very happy for you. Um, and it's the most important thing that we'll discuss on this segment of the <laughs> No, we are uh, less than a week away from minor league opening day. Next week, we will have our big season preview episode that will drop on Tuesday to get you all set for minor league opening day. But today, we're going to talk about some things that are already popping as far as the minor league season gets closer and closer, which means a couple of roster assignments that we're already aware of for top prospects across the game of baseball, as well as some guys currently in the major leagues who are doing things that have been impressive and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the teams that you may be most excited about in this 2021 minor league landscape the rosters uh coming obviously over the next few days we don't have full rosters or full assignments or anything like that as of yet but we do know a couple of prospects and where they are headed in the minor league ranks to kick off this 2021 season. We will start off in the Toronto Blue Jays organization where shortstop Jordan Groshans, who is the number 39 overall prospect in the game of baseball, he has tweeted that he is headed to double a new hampshire the third ranked prospect in the blue jays organization and a friend of the show garrett mitchell the outfield prospect in the milwaukee brewers organization 20th overall selection in last year's draft uh, we are under the understanding that he is headed to now class a advanced wisconsin to begin the 2021 season those two guys sam um obviously good challenges especially I think for somebody like uh, an outfielder who comes out of college and is going to be seeing professional pitching for the first time and Garrett Mitchell going to high A right out of the gate um, after a very extended layoff, I'll be interested to see how that goes. Uh, And Jordan Groshans, who is a guy who I think the Blue Jays have this glut of young talent 
at this stage, it's like, man, where are you going to put all of these dudes? There are so many guys who are so good already either at the major league level or climbing toward the major league level. Um, the last time we saw him play was with uh, a class A squad in Lansing back in 2019. So he'll jump over the class A advanced level and arrive at double A to start the year. Your reactions to those two uh, among some of the early assignment news. Yeah. And, and the reason why we're talking about these two in particular is because as far as we know, they are the first two to confirm, at least out of top 100 guys, not in the majors already, uh, to confirm where they're going. So that's why we bring those guys up, not just because, as Tyler said, they are friends of the show who have been on this podcast since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but with both of those, yeah, it's been funny. I've talked to a lot of farm directors and trying to figure out where guys are going this year. And the, the phrase I've always used, and I've had it echo back to me uh, in some cases, is that we're in the wild west of assignments. We really don't know where guys are going to go because every organization is going to be different. How do you treat 2020? How do you treat if a guy was at an all site versus him working out from home and maybe getting a little bit of instructs work in? Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how all these things settle. That being said, these two seem pretty standard. Like you said, with Garrett Mitchell, he is a college performer. He was a first round pick last year out of UCLA. Uh, MLB pipeline had him as one of the top prospects in that draft. He dropped because of, a type one diabetes diagnosis that he's dealt with for a long time. And he's always played with it, but um, there were some concerns about that, uh, but he had a great spring had a, a great introduction with them last year. Plus plus speed could show he could really hit can really play the outfield. Um, so they're going to move him to high a uh, there with Wisconsin. Even if the, the pandemic didn't happen last year, he would probably start out high. A. That's normally how college performers work. Uh, Jordan Groshen is kind of the same way. Like if he, would have come in for 2020. He probably would have started out at Class A Advanced, uh, maybe moved up to Double A at the end of the year. Who's to say uh, how that would have worked out? But uh, somebody being in their third, what would have been their third full season, starting out at Double A, isn't a shock. Uh, with the Jays, as you said, Tyler, uh, when I did a minor league spring training report on them last week, um, you know, the assistant farm director that I talked to said, like, we, we want. Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin to be playing shortstop. Um, so how are they going to work that out? It seemed like reading the tea leaves, Groshans was going to go uh, to double A. Martin was going to start out the year at high A Vancouver. It looks like that way right now. They haven't confirmed where Martin's going. So we're going to keep an eye out on that. Uh, but this is all about getting those guys playing time at a primary position. Someday they're going to be bumping up against Bobochet. We'll see what, when that day comes and what it will be like and what players they will be when that happens. Uh, but right now expect Groshans to play a lot of shortstop at New Hampshire. And I'm really excited to see what he can do because if you remember our interview, he thought he was going to major league camp to fight for a major league spot. Um, didn't quite live up to that, but offensively he sounded like he was exactly where he wants to be. Now he's going to be playing against age level or age appropriate uh, pitching what can he do there? That'll be really exciting. So looking forward to seeing both of those guys at New Hampshire and Wisconsin when things start up next Tuesday. As the season gets closer and closer, obviously we will uh, continue to find out where top prospects are headed to begin the year. And uh, you can follow along with all of that news at MILB.com and MILBpipeline.com, all of our social media channels as well. There are a couple of guys who are up in the major leagues right now who are already making impacts uh, on the big league level. And one of those is uh, Luis Patino with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's got a teammate there in Shane McClanahan, the number two and five prospects in that system. Um, guys who are, especially in Patino's case, entering such an interesting chapter of their careers coming off of a trade being the prize piece uh, of that Blake Snell deal for the Tampa Bay Rays and now being a member of that staff. Uh, he's only pitched in one game, pitched in relief uh, or pitched as a starter for two and two thirds, only went through the lineup one time uh, in his debut, walked one batter, struck out three. But those guys, you know, the Rays right now are in the midst of just trying to reload off of a, a World Series appearance, making some deals, shipping out some big names like Blake Snell, and yet still uh, being a team that is very competitive and I think has it in it. Uh, to be right in the mix in the American League East. Obviously, it's still early, but they're in second place in the division right now behind the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, that was one of the more confounding things to me about when people were making predictions for the, the 2021 season. I get it. They traded away Blake Snell. Blake Snell, big part of their rotation. Um, Glass now has kind of assumed the role of the ace and is looking every part of that. But uh, it, 
a big reason why I was still high on the Rays coming in is obviously we cover prospects, we cover farm systems. They are the number one farm system in baseball, but a lot of that talent was basically major league ready. And that, you know, includes Patino, that includes Mithlanahan. So Patino coming up, going through that lineup once, a lot of people thought like, well, why only do that? He looked really good. And he did. I watched the start fastball slider changeup all look spot on from him. A uh, big reason for that was because when I was talking to the Rays front office about that spring training report, um, both Patino and McClanahan were only being built up to four innings. The whole goal was to get them to about five innings for minor league opening day. So by the time they were getting called up, they were only able to go three or four. Uh, and the Rays being the Rays, they really like playing matchups. They like screwing with opposing lineups. So Patino going through that lineup, like you said, Tyler, once through perfectly one through nine that got him two and two thirds innings, a, you know, look good doing so, but maybe a second time through, they were going to adjust, hit him a little bit harder. I think they went with Josh Fleming who gives you a look, different look from the left side, more of a sinker sinker baller guy uh, is a big reason why the Rays are who they are. They're going to match up you to death. Now they're going to Shane McClanahan. He, he's coming up after Patino. I, I believe he's actually scheduled to start. That's not an opening situation. It's an actual starting situation. Again, that's because he's a little bit more built up than Patino was when he first got the call. Um, but McClanahan, he only got looks in the bullpen last year during the postseason, during the Rays run to the World Series, um, can throw as hard as anybody in that system. Uh, will touch triple digits at times. I'll, I'll be interested to see how that works in longer stints compared to when he was hitting 101 in the spring in, in shorter stints and, and doing that the same way last postseason. Um, but he's got a slider to match that too. Is he going to have the third pitch to be a starter? I think in time, yes. Uh, but the fact that they're bringing him up right now, and Kevin Cash even said just before we started recording, uh, that they are bringing him up to stay. This is not a we're bringing you up for a spot start. We're going to send you back down so you get more time at Durham. It sounds like now that he is built up to a decent amount, they they plan on keeping him around in Tampa Bay. So exciting times for the Rays. Uh, if these guys are up, they are going to play large roles going forward. I expect them to be starters. The Rays expect them to be starters. And you put those two top 100 names right net alongside Glass now in that rotation. And Tampa Bay could keep on trucking in a way that I feel like not many people expected coming in, uh, out of the spring. And with that, we arrive at our final topic uh, for our semi-preview of the minor league season. Next week, obviously, we're going to dive fully uh, all feet in to the minor league pool in 2021. But there are some at least tentative roster projections that we can look at for this 2021 season upcoming and some squads that I think we would all be really excited to point out to you as, okay, you should keep an eye on that team. Sam, I think um, one of the ones, you know, sticking in that Rays organization, AAA Durham is going to be a loaded roster. Wander Franco is going to be there at some point this year. Um, this start of this season leaves us with so many questions that we are dying to know the answers to as to where a lot of top prospects will be. But what other teams on the minor league landscape do you anticipate having good collections of top talent? Yeah, so this is just, again, we're, we're coming at you not with inside information quite yet. Um, hopefully teams are going to be announcing this soon right after we we post this podcast because, because of COVID protocols, um, teams are going to have to send players out a little bit earlier to get them settled in their new locations. So we hopefully will have answers a little bit earlier on where on how teams will look. But if you're looking for what roster should I look for over the weekend um, as I get ready for minor league opening day, Durham's a great one, as Tyler mentioned. I will also shout out Tacoma uh, with the Seattle Mariners. Um, Tacoma, the the Mariners have actually held back Jared Kelnick. He has not been at the outside to begin 2021. He's been mostly playing with the double-A group. I think that's just because they want him closer uh, to the complex. They want to ease him in that way. I still expect him to be at Tacoma. Um, I think Logan Gilbert could be there. Um, I think Cal Raleigh's going to be there. A lot of their big names, if they're not going to be there early, they're certainly going to be there pretty quick. Uh, but I think Tacoma is definitely one I want to have circled. And another one I'm going to be checking in on that I, I really don't know how the Orioles are going to handle this, uh, but is Bowie uh, with the Orioles. Because I feel like Adley Rutschman is going to be at double A. Uh, he missed out on his first full season last year. Still advanced enough, all the reports coming out of him, you know, from the alt site, from instructs, all of that were still very strong. He should be opening up in the 
upper minors. And then I think he could be paired with Grayson Rodriguez, somebody who does have more full season experience, spent all of 2019 uh, at Class A, Delmarva. So I think both of those guys jumped to, to Bowie. Now, what happens with D.L. Hall? Does he also go there or does he go to AAA? Uh, will be fascinating. But the fact that one of the best catching prospects or the best pe- catching prospect in baseball could be paired up with one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in baseball is very enticing and should give O's fans a, a clear look at their future. Sometimes you forget to hit the unmute button on Zoom while you're recording a podcast. I feel like it's, it's been rare that I've done that, but there are definitely times I learned recently um, that I – have an external mic i always thought that it didn't work when i muted myself and then you and i did a test and it turns out that my mic actually does mute accurately but now i forget every time that i mute it and so when you get done talking i'm like yeah well i'll move on in the next and then i realize that i'm muted i'm very professional with this sam it's okay we've only been using zoom for 13 months Tyler. right exactly it's you know we're just getting used to this stuff uh so that'll do it for this segment of the show before the show i really just had to wrap it up and send us to our close our close is next this week's episode of the Double Pin Show. It does feel very good that this time next week we will be uh, into a minor league baseball season for the first time in two years. That is really pretty amazing. It has felt like the normalcy of minor league baseball would never return because uh, this weird landscape that we've lived in for the last year would never end. But um, we're getting there. And before we wrap up this week's edition of the show before the show, we have our final edition of better known affiliate structure, which uh, brings us last but not least to the American League East. And uh, I'm going to take the first team to give Sam his childhood squad. And I will run you through the four affiliates of the Baltimore Orioles who uh, don't really make a whole lot of changes. They've got some flip-flop levels, but Aside from that, the Norfolk Tides, remember the Baltimore Orioles AAA affiliate. They will stay at that level. So will the Bowie Bay Sox at AA, which is also the alternate site location for the O's. And then a change at low A and high A. The former uh, low A team, Delmarva, will remain at the low A level. But the high A squad was actually formerly a Class A short season affiliate of the Orioles, the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who have now vaulted into a spot previously occupied by the Frederick Keys. So Norfolk, Bowie, Aberdeen, Delmarva down the ladder in the Baltimore Orioles system. Sam for the Boston Red Sox. I feel like this is the nicest thing you could have done. Like, I think this is all payback. You're welcome. What we just talked about last segment. Where I was welcome. just like, you've been kicking me a lot lately. And you're just like, Here you go. You can, which I also think is a way of you squirming out of having to pronounce the AAA team for the Boston Red Sox, which is Worcestershire the Worcester, sauce. Worcester Red Sox. Worcestershire sauce. Is sure. Is how it's pronounced. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they do a play on that at some point, <laughs> the way food identities are going in minor league baseball. But true. Uh, the Worcester Red Sox at AAA, of course, moving up from Pawtucket. Uh, McCoy Stadium is, is being replaced by Polar Park, which is ready to go. It's been used as the alt site uh, for the Red Sox so far. It seems like guys are getting comfortable there. So uh, AAA Worcester Red Sox, the new affiliate there in AAA East. At AA, they're sticking around. It's the Portland Sea Dogs. High A, this is where the flip-flop happens. High A will be the Greenville Drive. Uh, formerly the low A affiliate, and now at low A will be the Salem Red Sox. Uh, again, flipping from the Class A advanced level to the low A system. So all four affiliates are the same. Not really much you have to update here. Just remember to flip Greenville and Salem, and remember that uh, the AAA team is in Worcester now and not in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, Tyler, over to you with the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees, a uh, 50% change really among uh, Yankees affiliates. And you could say 75% difference uh, with where everyone is aligned. The only constant from the Yankees carrying over from 2019 is Scranton Wilkesbury, which will remain as the AAA affiliate in the Yankee system and uh, continues to be a, a longtime partner in that franchise. Double A on down is different. The Somerset Patriots join minor league baseball, formerly an affiliated or an unaffiliated team in the independent Atlantic League. That squad now is the double-A affiliate of the Yankees. The Hudson Valley Renegades, who were formerly a Class A short-season squad affiliated with the Tampa Bay Rays, they are now the high-A affiliate of the Yankees. And the Tampa Tarpons, formerly a high-A squad, are now moved down to low-A in the Tampa in the Yankees organization at the home uh, of Yankees spring training in Tampa, Florida. And moving on to the Tampa Bay Rays, who we've talked about a lot in this show. Uh, Triple-A Durham sticking around. Of course, Durham, one of the 
standard bearers across minor league baseball. They stay affiliated with the Rays at the AAA level. Double uh, A, another non-change here with the Double A Montgomery Biscuits. Uh, high A, Bowling Green actually used to be the low A affiliate. Now they're moving up to high A. So Bowling Green Hot Rods sticking around the Ray system. And here's a major change. The Charleston River Dogs uh, will now be the low A affiliate. Um, so the, two former Class A affiliates here, uh, but one is staying at low A in Charleston. One is moving up to high A in Bowling Green. The team that got lost in the shuffle here is the Charles is a Charlotte Stone Crabs, excuse me. Um, so they're no longer affiliated with the Rays, uh, but it now goes from Durham, Montgomery, Bowling Green, and Charleston in this Rays system, which we expect to be loaded from top to bottom for sure. Uh, and Tyler, finally, to wrap up the entire better known affiliate structure series with the Toronto Blue Jays. A lot of the same with the Blue Jays, but again, some level changes. Triple A Buffalo remains the same. Double A New Hampshire remains the same. Vancouver is another formerly short season team that now moves up to the high A level, formerly in the short season Northwest League. The Vancouver Canadians will be the high A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. They will not, however, be playing this season like their parent club uh, north of the border in Canada. The uh, Canadians will set up shop as roommates of the Hillsborough Hops for a uh, 2021 minor league baseball buddy comedy kind of arrangement uh, at Ron Tonkin field in Hillsborough and the formerly high a Dunedin blue Jays uh, last of the Florida state league. Now members of the low a ranks at the home of blue Jays spring training in Dunedin, Florida. So that brings us through all 30 major league organizations in better known affiliate structure. And uh, you can find those stories at MILB.com. And uh, that brings us to the end of our final preseason episode kind of next one will be out as a as a season preview but we will be into the season by the time you uh by the time you tune in probably yeah so check your feeds next tuesday that's good that's going to be our plan as of right now is to get an episode out to you guys early tuesday first minor league baseball games can you believe it we'll be starting at six o'clock eastern time there's no early day game this year p.m p.m PM, PM, not right at 6 a.m. We're not posting a podcast. Just jumping right in 6 a.m. No. But we, we will get the show out to you early. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of preview stuff, some predictions like we always do. We'll be bringing in our friends, Josh Jackson and Kelsey Hennigan. Um, ben will be here to talk about some more changes and what he's looking to forward to most about the promo schedule and all that. So tune in early next week. It'll be a Tuesday episode. We'll get back to our Thursday, Friday, normal stuff the week after that. And at that point, We'll actually have games to talk about and break down early season performances. Cannot wait for that opportunity. It's going to be amazing. And we can't wait to get back to it. And to all of you who have stuck with us or who have found us or who have joined us uh, over the last year, your support has meant everything in the world to us. We have had some really difficult days wondering what the future of minor league baseball was going to be. And the fact that we have uh, made it hopefully to this finish line, which is just the starting line of the next chapter of minor league baseball really means uh, the world to us as we know it does to you. And so uh, we are in your debt forever as being supporters of this show and supporters of minor league baseball. And uh, that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Can't wait to talk to you next week. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.